you know, early teens, I developed a relationship with porn like a lot of young men do. That stuck with me all through my teens, into my 20s, and even into my 30s. Um, So porn became a regular part of my life. It was something that at one point I began to recognize was unhealthy and out of alignment for me, maybe out of integrity for me, you might say. I appreciate you coming on. So welcome to Millennial Manhood. I got uh, Matt with me. And uh, Matt, tell tell the folks who you are. What's your what's your 10,000 foot story? Why are you on the podcast? Right on, brother. Uh, yeah, thank you for having me here today, brother. Um, so my name is Matt Sinkovitz, and uh, I run the coaching community, uh, Porn to Purpose, and a uh, Facebook community called Making Peace with Porn. I'm a porn abstinence accountability coach, and uh, the work that I do is really helping men resolve <clears throat> their addiction to pornography. Mm. Um, I got into this work um, as a result of my own kind of 20-year journey with porn and resolving that for myself. I've been in the personal and spiritual development space for a lot of years. And, you know, that journey kind of came together with my porn abstinence journey and the work that I was doing there. And, you know, my desire to, to be of service to other men and you know, be in this in this line of work. So they kind of came together and recognizing that so many men are dealing with this issue in the shadows of life, so to speak. So I decided to take it on and start focusing my work in this direction. Interesting. So um, I'm sure at fifth grade, you know, career day, when they asked you what you wanted to be when you grew up, this was not what you expected. Right. So uh, I don't think I've ever met somebody who does what you do. Uh, That's kind of what, I mean, quite frankly, and folks who know the show, like I've got dozens of emails all the time of people trying to get on the show. And a lot of times I just ignore it because I just don't have time. Right. Um, But again, yours was unique. That's for sure. Um, so I was like, Hey, let me talk to this guy. So, so how did you end up here? <laughs> so like, like walk me through the actual journey. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I grew up in the Christian church yep. and, uh, grew up in prison work, missions work with my family. Okay. And, uh, you know, in like the later part of my kind of Christian journey in my teens, like late teens, uh, I was involved in youth group heavily and I was in church like four days a week. You know what I mean? Mm. So I was like heavily involved in church in the Christian church. And then like late teens, early twenties, I kind of got away from church a little bit and stuff like that. Um, just doing my own exploration, having my own questions, unanswered questions and stuff like that. <clears throat> really found myself in a really dark place, like mid twenties, uh, super depressed, suicidal, didn't like myself, obsessive thinking. Uh, and uh, I was in the hotel industry at that time and really just didn't, couldn't see a reason to want to live anymore. Mm. And uh, yeah, really a victim to my thinking and obsessive thinking. And at that time, I, I, I was just looking for something, some sort of solace, man. And I um, ended up going to the bookstore that night. I was working at this uh, this uh, big resort in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And I was living there in, at the hotel as a sales manager. And it's so, like that night, one of those nights I ended up going to the bookstore, like a Barnes and Noble or something and looking in the personal development section, maybe the psychology section. And I ended up finding some books on mindfulness, meditation, and was just looking for some sort of refuge, man. And just began my journey at that time into, into mindfulness and, and meditation. Um, that ultimately led me to uh, Buddhism. Hmm. And uh, my my journey in mindfulness and meditation and Buddhism ultimately led me to study with with my teacher 
And that led to like a 10 year, uh, you know, like, like a 10 year journey. I ended up studying with my teacher and becoming an ordained Buddhist minister and mindfulness counselor. And <clears throat> um, now, um, and as of late, you know, I do work in prisons and hospitals as a Buddhist minister and a Buddhist mindfulness counselor. So that's kind of like one part of my journey. And the other part of my journey is that, you know, for the past, you know, 13 or so years, since about since about that era, age 25, uh, I've been heavily involved in personal and spiritual development, doing my own, doing my own deep work, business coaching, personal coaching. I've had just, I've must have, I've easily invested over 50 grand in just different coaches and mentors and working with different people to accelerate my journey. And, uh, you know, I would say over the past five years or so, I, I had begun to recognize like a calling in my, in my own life to be serving others. I had a real passion for the coaching work and the service work and really me kind of like working for myself to identify, all right, where do I want to focus my work? Who do I want to serve? How do I want to be of, of support? Um, that kind of all, all came together. What I guess I, I guess another leg of the journey that's really important to mention, obviously the reason I'm, I'm sitting here, I guess, is because, you know, early teens, I developed a relationship with porn, like a lot of young men do. And, um, and that stuck with me all through my teens, into my twenties, uh, and even into my thirties. Um, so porn became a regular part of my life. It was something that at one point I began to recognize was unhealthy and out of alignment for me, maybe out of integrity for me, you might say. But for whatever reason, I couldn't I couldn't cut it out fully. There were periods mm-hmm. I was able to abstain for longer periods, but I wasn't able to cut it out fully. Um, and recognizing the you know, porn's one of those things for not for everybody, but for some people, certainly for me, it was one, it was very toxic. And it, it had this way of cascading into every aspect of my life. It was affecting my relationships, my spirituality, my sense of purpose, the work that I felt called to be doing in the world. Uh, it affected me, I think, at work, you know, energetically in terms of my productivity, uh, certainly my health. Um, and so I was just recognizing it was a real toxic aspect of my life. So I ended up being on the personal and spiritual development journey and working with all these coaches. I ended up hiring a coach. That was a porn, like a porn abstinence coach, just like I do now. I invested a couple grand and ended up working with him and doing the deep work, getting into a community, getting into accountability and resolving it for myself. And that's when it all kind of coalesced and came together. The the person, the spiritual work I had been doing, the personal development work I had been doing and this work around pornography uh, all kind of came together and, and me now serving and others in this work. Wow. Okay. That's a lot to unpack there. Um, <laughs> and you said long-winded answers were cool, right? Yeah. I love long-winded <laughs> answers because that gives me a lot to work with. Also mm-hmm. for future reference, anybody that comes on a podcast, if I ask you a question and you give me a sentence, I will fight you. Give me a, <laughs> give me a paragraph. I don't um, know. Okay. So I'm, I'm curious about this. You said something earlier where you said you walked into a Barnes and Noble, you went into the self-development section. So fun little uh, statistic I heard. I have no idea how true this is, but it sounds about right. Only 5% of adults ever read a book after college yeah <clears throat> or after schooling is done sorry let me correct myself after schooling is done so if you've I ever read that. a book um post schooling you're in the 95th percentile of uh, of you as adults congratulations Thank you, sir. um and i would say even less people go into that self-development section of the barnes and noble and try to figure out like hey um how do i want to challenge myself how do i want to read how and, and in fairness a lot of the self-development stuff out there is total horse crap. Um, it's a lot of people making a lot of money off of people's insecurities. Okay. So let's just go ahead and, you know, address the elephant in the room. However, 
there is some really, really good stuff out there as well by some really creative and and strong thinkers who are on the forefront of approaching problems. Um, but again, it's not it's not the natural thing for people to gravitate to. So why did you end up in that section that night? Man, you know what? Uh, I always um, I've always been a learner. I've always been a seeker. Like I said, I grew up in church, so I was like, I don't know, I was kind of like introduced to spirituality at a young age, and I think I was always curious and inquisitive. I was always drawn to the bookstore. Like I loved being at the bookstore when I was a kid, mm, like going in there and just perusing, right, the sections. And, you know, maybe on Sunday my parents would take me in there and we'd drink coffee and whatever, and I just I could spend so much time in the bookstore, man. So I guess that was just a natural place for me to go to want to learn and mm. uh, just to figure something out, you know. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so I just went in there and started digging, brother. Mm, interesting. So, so what were some of the initial things you came across, like initial books that really started to jolt you in? Because you said you were in a very dark place. Yeah, I was. Yeah. Um, so I was, was looking there, for. Go ahead. I was saying, is there something specific you were looking for? Is there a specific? Mm-hmm. Did somebody uh, recommend something to you? Like what? What came across? That's a good. That's a good question. I appreciate that. Um, so yeah, I, I, I remember distinctly uh, what I came across. I was looking for stuff on the mind. I was like trying to figure out. I was really looking for like how to change my brain, how to change my mind, how to change my thinking. That's what I was looking for. And I think so I ended up in personal development and psychology and and mindfulness. And what I came across was um, a book by uh, Tet Nhat Hanh, who's a Vietnamese uh, monk. Mm -hmm. And man, I'm trying to think of what the name of that book was. Uh, Understanding Our Mind. I think in fact it's called, it's an orange book, got like an orange on the front of it. Um, so yeah, that, that book by Tet Han and a book by Dr. Joe Dispenza, who I'm a big fan of, who's doing a lot of really cool work today. And it was, I think it was called re like rewire your brain. I think it was called. Um, so it was all about the neuro, the neuroplasticity of the brain. Mm-hmm. This man, um, actually healed himself from a, a broken back. He opted not to have back surgery and said he laid in a back and his story is that he healed his own back through his own his own mind. So <clears throat> those two books. And then I also found like a really pl- a practical little blue book on just medicine, like meditation. Like if I could still find it, I'd introduce it to others. It was just really simple, straightforward, like ABCs. Like here's the simplest way to follow your breath and, um, and, and, and learn to meditate. And I was just looking for, uh, some, some way to escape my mind or, or mm-hmm. at least make, make, maybe make peace with my mind. I don't know. Well, okay. Well, what do you mean by escape your mind? Um, yeah, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever dealt with like obsessive compulsive disorder, or if you know of anybody that is, but you know, we can get locked into these cycles and these loops of compulsive thinking, uh, and feeling. And, um, that's really what I was dealing with just uh, obsessive thoughts and ways of viewing myself, ways of perceiving myself, ways of feeling that I was really uncomfortable with that I didn't like. And, um, yeah, man, I just, uh, I think, I think obsessive kind of looping thinking, um, disturbing thoughts, I think is a mm. generic way to put it. So why, why do you say escaping your mind instead of maybe controlling your mind or, or, um, shifting that energy into another direction? I mean, I'm just, I'm really curious because the whole meditation concept is really fascinating to me, the whole mindfulness and tracking your breath and just the ability that you can have as a human being to calm yourself, mm-hmm. um, is really, really interesting. Yeah. Well, nowadays I would use that language, but back then I feel like I was just looking for some sort of, some sort of escape, some sort of way to deal with myself, some sort of way to not feel um, like such a victim to my thinking, you know, to my mind, to my brain, you know, it's the mind is this, uh, it, it can be like, 
you know, freedom and heaven, or it can be a hell, you know, if mm. we get all, if we get twisted up and I was twisted up, man. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So, so how is that manifested with the coaching that you do with folks? You know, so let's say, you know, one of the big things that we see in society just in general is, um, anxiety and, and stress and all these different things coming through. And, and I've talked about this on the podcast before many, many, many times. So again, my disclaimer, I'm not dismissing anxiety as not a real thing. I 100% believe it's a real thing. I 100% people have chemical imbalances, need to be medicated, yada, yada. Like disclaimer, you've heard me talk about this a million times. Um, just personally, I've never felt with it in any, I've never experienced it in any clinical way. I don't know what it is. I don't know why it is. I've always from a young age been able to calm myself and pull myself out of that hole. Yeah. Whether it's sadness, whether it's anxiety, whatever. So I have a hard time empathizing with it because I just, I can understand it, but I can't empathize with it because I, I, I haven't experienced it. Um, so when you deal with folks who maybe suffering from things like that. Like what's the process? What's the steps? What is, um, and feel free to like wrap the porn conversation into it. Cause I'm sure it's causing a lot of the anxiety, maybe a mm -hmm. uh, warped perception of, of relationships or your own masculinity or yourself or, or whatever. So run with it from there. Yeah. So, I mean, to me, anxiety is just fear. You know, it's like, there's like on the spectrum of emotion, you know, it's like there's fear on one side and there's like love on the other, you know? So for me, anxiety just falls in the, in the, you know, fear side of the spectrum. Um, and, and how, how, how meditation, how mindfulness, um, wraps into, to the work that we do. Um, and, and, and how it's relevant today is, you know, we are a mindfulness based program and we teach our guys to meditate. A lot of us operate as victims to our thoughts and victims to our feeling. We experience a thought. We, the, the, uh, following the thought is a feeling and following that feeling is a, is an action oftentimes. And uh, so, so many of us are emotionally immature. We're acting out of thoughts and emotions. You know, we're we're mm -hmm. reacting out of thoughts and emotions, and and so that could be with food. That could be with cigarettes. That could be with drugs and alcohol. That could be with sex and pornography, like we're talking about here. You know, so we've got this this uncomfortable emotion that we're not willing to sit with. We've got this uncomfortable thought that we're not willing to sit with. So we act out of it to try and resolve it to find some some resolution, or maybe we're using it to check out of life you know, to mm. not deal. A lot of people use porn for that, just like any other drug. So let's just call like porn a drug, just like many other drugs that vices that people, you know, use. Um, so our process is really learning to be more conscious and aware of the thoughts and the feelings that arise in the body, a willingness to sit with them and be with them and watch them and observe them as they rise and then fall and not react and respond out of them. What we also recognize is that Whenever we act out of emotion, right? Oftentimes we're, there's there's an um, there's a need that we're tempted to meet there. Maybe mm -hmm. we're lonely. Maybe we're feeling disconnected. Maybe we are feeling scared, anxious, depressed. Maybe we're feeling stressed out. You know. So oftentimes we go we go to our cigarette, we go to our alcohol, we go to our food, we go to our porn or sex to meet a need. So on the other side of it is like, all right, what need am I tempted to meet, and how do I begin to meet that need in a healthier way? Mm -hmm. So it's mindfulness around what's going on inside of us and a willingness to be with that. And sit with that and not react, but choose to respond in a healthy way, you know? So that's, that's the simple process. So, so what would you say the response in a healthy way would be? Like it's, instead of grabbing a cigarette, what's the, what's the counterbalance to that? Well, I used to smoke cigarettes and, uh, for me, you know, at, at one point to cut my habit out, 
you know, I just stopped buying cigarettes. And that was like, that was like my answer, right? I was like, if, if, if I don't have them in the house, I'm not going to smoke them. And if I just go out to the bar, I'll just bum them. That was kind of like my thing. So I stopped buying them. So I didn't have them in the house. So, but the, the impulse still arose. And what I noticed was that the impulse would still arise, but it would come up. I couldn't do anything about it because I didn't have the cigarette. But then a couple minutes later, or even less, the impulse would just be gone and I would forget all about it again. You know? Mm. Um, so I'm sorry. Can you, can you rephrase your question or not, not rephrase, but repeat. I, lost I, I was just saying, you know, what is the positive response when you're fe- oh, when okay, you okay, having right. that, the feeling okay. that comes through? What's the positive? What's the counterbalance? Yeah, yeah. Right. So, um, so it might be, again, let's say that maybe we're feeling um, disconnected, right? We're feeling maybe a little bit lonely, right? And so we're, we're sitting at the house and we're just maybe bored. And so we you know, maybe it's coming up as bored, but underneath, actually, we're just feeling disconnected and lonely. So we reach for a cigarette for something to do. But if we're willing to exercise mindfulness and take a closer look at that, maybe we maybe we could recognize that we're actually feeling lonely and disconnected. You know, mm. so maybe the healthy the the healthy counter to that would first and foremost be to be with those thoughts and feelings, be present with them, don't escape them. But secondly, now how do I how do I meet that need in a healthy way? AKA maybe I maybe I need to meet up with a friend. Maybe it's make a phone call. You know what I mean? Maybe it's actually spending some time with myself, you know, self-love is a big part of our practice. Maybe I need to connect with myself, you know, so it's, it's learning to identify All right, when I'm feeling like this, how can I meet this need in a healthier way? Uh, a lot of times we go to porn. A lot of times we go to our unhealthy habits and behaviors whenever we're energetically deprived, when we're feeling kind of low, you know, that's oftentimes mm-hmm. when we're most easily triggered. So maybe I need a nap. You know, maybe I just yeah. need to rest up. Maybe I need some water. Maybe I need to take better care of my body. Um, so, so who, so who knows, but there's a, there's a myriad of, of healthy responses after we, we first, I think, sit and, and kind of recognize what's going on inside of us. <clears throat> Do you think that need to escape that feeling or to escape that thought is a byproduct of our modern society? Because we're one thing that I've read about is that modern man, especially in the West is never bored. Mm. You know, we don't, we, we see boredom as a bad thing. Whereas boredom is like when all the good creative ideas come through, that's when philosophy is created. That's when, that's when you sit there and you think about life, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't know, I'm, I'm genuinely asking, I'm, I'm, I would like to explore this idea. Do you think it's a byproduct of us just not allowing ourselves to be bored? So we have to escape those feelings and those, those passions per se. Yeah, oftentimes, or, or maybe it's just like uh, we're, we're afraid of ourselves. We're afraid of what's really going on inside of us. So we have to check out, you know, yeah. um, you know, I think, you know, part of being human is just experiencing the full range of motion from fear and hatred, maybe to, to joy and bliss, you know, um, and, and everything in between. And I think I think a lot of us, you know, we, we've not been trained from a young age for emotional acuity, emotional maturity. We've not been trained to to be with our emotions. We've been trained to check out. Mm. Um, and, and I think we've been trained to escape from life. I, I certainly think we see that in society. You know, there's always one vice or another to kind of, to, uh, to, to meet those needs, you know, whether it be the phone or the TV or fast food, you know? Yeah. That's interesting. Just the thought of being trained in a certain way from a, from a young age and, and, um, looking to check out, um, I got to say, man, it's like, you know, I think, I think we're evolving as humans, you know, some people might disagree, you know, but like, I don't know. I think, I think we, we learn based upon the behavior that our parents did or did not model, you know, Mm -hmm. if, 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 if our, if our fathers, you know, a lot of our fathers, you know, just guys generally our age, humans generally our age, 
a lot of our fathers come from kind of maybe more that stoic era. Certainly our grandfathers come from that more stoic era, you know, wartime where men didn't maybe show as, as much emotion. So they suppress it and they mm -hmm. don't deal with it, you know, and they don't cry and maybe they don't hug and stuff like that. Um, so we've never been maybe maybe we've never been give, given permission to experience e emotion or express emotion, you know? Yeah. Well, and it's also just a difference in, in life. I mean, bro, if, if we're storming the beaches in Normandy and you're crying, I'm going to need you to just stop. I'm with you. Yeah, like I, I, we have no time for that crap. <laughs> we need to go kill some Nazis. Right. Like, or they're going to kill us. Uh -huh. So uh, sack up and let's go. And with you. <laughs> this is basically what it comes down to. But but that's also kind of the byproduct of being a generation, not just a generation, multiple generations uh, that's lived in relative peace and relative prosperity that is unknown to our ancestors yeah you're right about that you're right about that i think i think for the first time ever we've got the we've got the luxury of, of of considering how am i feeling today you know like food water shelter all that stuff's taken care of now i get to contemplate you know the deeper mysteries of life and i i think yeah maybe for the first time in in human uh existence we do have that luxury you know well i mean yeah just think about this even if you're a rich person you know, we, we joked about maybe being related before we started recording. Let, yeah. Let's just say we, we have a hypothetical ancestor together in, I don't know, Ukraine, like th 1300 years ago or something. Even if he was the richest dude in the village, he still has to worry about, you know, the Huns coming across any moment or somebody or the or the Goths um, and raiding the village and raping and killing and pillaging everybody. Like, it doesn't right. matter if you're the richest, you know, dude who has the time to think. Yeah. Forget the, forget the serfs and the peasants who are working the fields. Right. Like, it's just a different world. It is. It is. And, and, and we take that for granted, man. You know, it, it's like it's easy to get locked into complaint, man. And, and I'm always reminding our guys in our work and, and myself, first and foremost, man, like what a blessing it is uh, to have peace outside our front door. Now, maybe mm -hmm. different pockets of our of our country and our nation and our city and towns don't have that luxury. But generally speaking, you know, we can sit here in peace and have this conversation and go to the kitchen if we need to, uh, you know, get something to eat or something to drink. And generally things are OK. Yeah. And uh, that's so easy to take for granted, but many around the world are not afforded that luxury, you know? No, I mean, today. Today. In, in 2021, a yeah. lot of people are not afforded that luxury. And it's, I've thought about this a lot. So um, my wife's pregnant and uh, she's due in January and we're having a little daughter. And I've thought a lot about, so this is our first kid. So I'm going through all these different, like just, you know, uh, mental gymnastics of of thinking through what fatherhood is going to look like. Right. Um, and one of the things that's really messed with me is the concept. And I'm, I'm, I'm messed with me in a sense of like, just thinking about it. I'm very grateful for this, but my daughter is going to have a life simply due to who her parents are and where she is born. And the fact that her parents are together and love each other, she is going to have a life and opportunities that people around the that other kids that will be born the same day as her around the world will never have just due to bad luck. Yep. Like being born in the wrong place that's in the middle of a war zone or something. Mm -hmm. Or or mm -hmm. or, or, or uh being born um a week after, you know, one of the parents dies in a car wreck um and they didn't have life insurance or, or whatever. Like just think of like all the different scenarios that can come up. Or shoot, being born down the street in the wrong part of town. Yeah. Where this kid might never know their dad. Um, it's crazy to think about how lucky we can get and how just, man, that's just such an advantage in life to, to have 
what she will have. Hopefully that's, mm-hmm. that's the goal. <laughs> yeah, brother. Yeah, brother. Yeah. And, 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 you know, of, of gratitude and appreciation, such a regular part of my practice. And for me, just looking around every single day at the simple things that are so easy to take for granted um, is, is, is such an important part of the journey, man. Just being like, yeah. And my, my one teacher often points out, you know, it's like, it's easy to get focused on the problems, you know, and, and the pain of life. But man, it's like, generally speaking, like things are working out pretty well. Like I'm sitting here, we're having this conversation, like all is quiet, all is well. You know, I just ate some dinner, like the, the computer's working, the lights are working, you know, like generally speaking, like things are working out pretty well. And it's really important to to take note of those things, man. Well, so let's, let's talk about things not working so well. So what ends up not working well? in a young man's life to where he has to come to you to help him overcome porn addiction? Well, man, I, I, I get a lot of guys who grew up in healthy homes. Now, oftentimes they, they haven't, but, you know, dysfunction occurs in every home and certainly sexual dysfunction is uh, permeates society. Um, I grew up in a good home, you know. Uh, my mm-hmm. family had its own own issues like, like all of our families do. Um, but I don't know, man. It's like it's like some of us are we're, we're all just drawn to our different vices, you know. I've mm-hmm. always been able to have just a couple beers, yeah, and it not, and, and it not turn into a problem for me, you know. Yeah. But I, I know a lot of people who, who are not not the case. Like a couple sips, you know, and they're driving the car off the cliff, you know. They're pedal to the metal, you know. Um, so we've all got our vices. Um, f- for me, it was sex. You know, I was introduced to porn at, at a you know young age, like a normal age, I'd say, probably 11, 12, 13, something like that. And it became a, a part of, I think I was, I was also a shy kid. I was shy around girls, mm. um, probably more sensitive. I was more like socially awkward and shy. Um, so it was an escape. It was an lot. escape for me. It was, it was, it was an escape. And also yeah, I think, I think it supplemented my inability or perceived in, inability to connect with women, you know? Mm. So it, it fulfilled that sexual need for me. Um, it was exciting. You know, it was connection. It was brand uh, one new. Thing, What's any that? fantasy you want it was brand exactly. new always any fantasy you wanted whatever man you know and and um another thing that we've identified in our work which is interesting uh an interesting need that because there's all there's all like sub needs that 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 porn or any vice satisfies for us but one we've identified is significance you know mm. it makes you feel maybe wanted maybe desired on a on an unconscious level you know um yeah yeah. So, so, you know, it, it doesn't, it, oftentimes whenever someone, you know, ends up with the sex addiction, there has been some, something went awry in their childhood. You know, they learned to meet those needs in a healthier way. Maybe porn was a form of safety or comfort for them. Mm. Maybe they were sexually abused. You never know. Mm. Um, so, so any amount of things can happen. And then again, we adopt these things as coping mechanisms, as a way to meet certain needs, as a way to check out for life. And again, you know, sex is just, you know, obviously like one of the primal drivers, you know? Yeah. So yeah. it just, it just becomes ingrained in who we are and um, it remains exciting. It's a good drug, you know? So it's, it's kind of hard to get away from. Um, so, you know, your, your, your question was, I think, you know, kind of what happens for a young man that he maybe gets addicted to something like this. Maybe something happened, but for, we all just kind of have our, our things that we're drawn to. So, I don't know, but whatever the case, it's also really tricky today. Porn's really tricky today because it's on that phone. Yep. You know what I mean? So when I was a kid, I was lucky to find to get a Playboy or a VHS or a DVD yeah. or something, right? I was like, it was. You I was had like, 
you had to risk your computer for all eternity to download something. Exactly, man. Exactly. Yep. You know, I was still in like probably uh, – I was probably like in 11th or 12th grade when we finally got dial-up internet in the house, you know. So I was like mm. at the end of that. So I had like the healthy porn experience, you know. So the phone and stuff wasn't a part of my life until – I mean, the, yeah, the phone wasn't a part of my life till later. So um, uh, it's, it's one of those things that just kind of catches on. It has a way of catching on and just becoming ingrained in our life, you know. Well, it's one of those things where it just takes it hijacks such a primal instinct yeah. where the the question is not why are young boys do it, watching it so much. The better question is why are they not watching it 24/7 365 at all right. times. Right. That's the that's actually the better question from a psychological standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um because of the 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 parts of our brain that it just completely hijacks. Mm-hmm. Um and, and yeah, and it's it's just it's so interesting what you said about um the escape and the fantasy fulfillment and i actually heard a psychologist talk about marrying a porn star so mm-hmm. this this concept of <clears throat> you're you are allowed to watch as much porn as you want as often as you want however it can only be one porn star the same hmm. one yeah and see how quickly you get bored right so talking about the parts of our brain that it hijacks yeah yeah i mean what an incredible um way of explaining it yeah, for sure. Um, and, 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 you know, I think it's an extra sophisticated issue because, you know, we've all got an addiction to these, whether whether we're looking at porn or not. You know, that's yeah, like I mean, a, Instagram is the same crap. Like. Oh, man, exactly. And, and just the phone itself is addicting. The scrolling is addicting. Social media is addicting. It's all designed to be, you know, um, right. And so you, 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 you tie that into the sex drive. Man, what a what a what a complicated problem we've got on our hands. Man, okay. Personal anecdote. So, wife and I went to the beach with a couple folks um, a couple weeks ago, actually, and it was so nice for a week, dude. I I think my average daily phone consumption was like at an hour and fifteen minutes when I look at the mm-hmm. um, the reports on my iPhone. Yep. And we got back, I think on a Wednesday at about six o'clock. We got back to Nashville between. Six o'clock Wednesday, and I think eight or nine a.m. Thursday. I ha- I looked at my report. I had been more on my phone during that time period than any day we were at the beach. Yeah, and I was so pissed off. Right, I was just so frustrated with myself. Not, I mean, yes, with myself, but also with just the environment essentially society has created because part of it is like, I need my phone for work. I need my phone for a million different things. Emails. Um, banking. Yeah. Banking LinkedIn, this podcast, I mean, responding to text messages, phone calls, whatever. Um, it was, it really hit me and it took me a couple of days to actually recover from just this disappointment that I felt after Mm -hmm. I realized that. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, uh, it's it's uh, it, you know what's interesting. Have you watched uh, this the um, social dilemma by chance? Yes, I have. And 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 they talk about how it's you know it's all engineered. Like you know those guys, they got our their our reptilian brain dialed in, and they know exactly what they're doing. You know, so we get those dopamine hits on those phone, same as we do with porn. You yep. know, um, so yeah, it's it's tricky. It's tricky. That's why I like I'm very conscious and intentional about turning my phone off at a certain point of the day and putting that on airplane mode and checking out you know that's probably such a good i I really need to figure out how to do something like that because i'm definitely addicted to my phone i mean mean, it's it just it bothers me well it just bothers me beyond all and because i'm the product here 
The phone's not the product. I'm the product. <clears throat> yes, that sir. just pisses me off so much. Yeah. Uh, I, I heard now uh, you, you might be able to draw another parallel here, but they said on social dilemma, they said social media is the only, is the only um, whatever uh, company or, or industry out there that calls the end use uh, the end, the, uh, the, the customer or the client uh, a user, you yeah. know, yeah, like, like a, like a drug user, you know, interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, well, and again, when you're constantly exposed to this feedback loop of just constant highlight reel, highlight reel, never being bored ever. Yeah. Then when you feel a tinge of anxiety, it's probably greater than anything. It it, it could have probably felt 50 years ago. Right, right. Pick up um, that phone. Well, and not just that, but now I, I guess the good side of all of this is that folks for the first time kind of talking about our grandparents generation to ours. You know, dude, could you imagine like somebody like my grandfather's generation talking about going and talking to a therapist? Right. Right. Hell no. Mm -hmm. I would have never if they did, you know, that you kept that so hushed. Right. And you I mean, your family was ashamed of you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I watched the interview with a former mobster talking about um, the Sopranos and Tony Soprano. In the very first episode, you know, he goes to a psychiatrist or his therapist. Right. And, and he was like, so here's the first problem with that. If he had ever, if, if in real life we had ever found out that our boss was going to a therapist, we would have killed him that day. Yeah, exactly. Um, which that's the culture. That's the, that's the life. Um, whereas today people are more open about figuring out their own problems and figuring out how to, uh, manage themselves and, and, and I'll, I'll give a, another anecdote. So I won't mention the name. But I have a friend who goes to a therapist and the very first time this friend went to a therapist, this friend, this therapist was like, how do you feel about this? And this friend would respond anxious and the therapist would be like, anxiety is not a feeling. How do you feel? (laughs) You know, scared, scared is not a feeling. How do you feel? And literally the therapist had to whip out a chart (laughs) of feelings. Uh How do you feel? Okay. You feel you know, this, and that is leading to the anxiety, et cetera. And just something as simple as that of just being able to identify your feelings. Yeah. I think there's like core, like five core feelings or or, or emotions, I believe. I mean, that's what I was talking about. We are generally emotionally unintelligent. You know what I mean? We're we're, we're not trained on on this uh, from a young age and we have to figure it out ourselves or hopefully be directed, you know? So what are some of the biggest changes you've seen in your life over your journey? Oh man, um, <clears throat> like post porn, you know, um, clear mind, clear conscience, better relationship with myself. I like the man looking back in the mirror at myself, mm. healthier, stronger, more fit, more confident, um, better sex, you know, more attractive to women, more confident in my relationships with women, more confident socially. Um, I'm doing the work that I'm called to be doing, you know, mm. um, I, 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 I can look someone in the eyes, honestly, mm. you know, um, I, uh, all those things right there, you know, just, um, oh, momentum, man. You know, porn was one of those things that would sabotage my momentum. I'd be doing good mm. for a couple of days, a couple of weeks, a couple, uh, a, a couple months, you know, and then I'd go back to porn, I'd relapse and it's like, it would just sabotage everything I was doing. It's like, I had to start back up again, you know, and kind of get that momentum. So I could never really get traction in my business the way I wanted to. And even when I did, I knew I had this kind of skeleton in my closet, 
that was out of integrity for me. So I, I never felt really good about what I was doing or couldn't speak authentically around certain issues, you know. So, uh, yeah, man, it's it's positively impacted my life in, in, in so many ways, you know. So let me ask you this. I, I wonder what your – I'm curious what your answer will be to this. Um, do you feel like your upbringing in a religious household and the purity culture that comes along with it uh, impacted you psychologically in your adolescence years to – create that negative feedback loop every time you did watch porn to where you couldn't look at yourself mm-hmm. in the mirror. Yeah, I think so. Um, I suspect so. I remember the first time I, I masturbated in the shower, I was like, I had I had all this guilt around it, you know? And mm. I always, it was really weird. It was like instant and, I, and it was very, very distinct. Now, I don't know if, <clears throat> I don't think, I don't recall being told anything bad about masturbation, but maybe it was just there. Maybe it was my sexuality was bad. Mm. Um, but yeah, I always had guilt and shame and awkwardness around my sexuality. I'm still working through all, a, a lot of that stuff, you know? Yeah, it's it's not um, a comfortable conversation. It's not a normalized conversation. It's it's often very times, you know, demonized. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Do you ever oh, – okay, side question because I just realized I kind of glossed over this. You go from what I'm assuming is some sort of evangelical Christian, yeah. um, maybe Church of Christ or Baptist or something along those lines, the way you described it, um, or somewhere in that ballpark to Buddhist. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Explain that, <laughs> you know, just like the journey and the, and the feedback and the story, like that's a, yeah. that's a leap. Yeah, it, it is a leap. And, and you know, if the more I've understood Buddhism, um, it's not, it's not as big of a leap as you might think, you know, for me, to me, my understanding in relationship with Buddhism currently is that it's more of a, a philosophy, mm-hmm. a way of living. And yep. it actually, it actually can complement any other, you know, I think religious path. Um, I don't, I don't worship Buddha or anything like that. Yeah. Maybe some cultures and traditions do that. Like it seems like in maybe Vietnam and, or Taiwan, there is this greater reverence around the Buddha image itself. But for me, it's uh, <clears throat> a way of living, you mm. know, and, and, and a philosophy. Um, so it, it can be very complimentary. But just to get back to your question, yeah. So I was raised in this in this very traditional Pentecostal okay. uh, Christian home. And uh, when I was younger, it was like this big non-denominational church, people running around with flags, people getting slain in the spirit, speaking in tongues. Yeah. When I was uh, in, in like in my teens, uh, I was heavily involved in youth group and, you know, all the, all the, all of us kids were doing that stuff and revival was going on in the church and, you know, um, all, all this stuff. And as I mentioned, my parents were always involved in prison work and missions work. When I was young, I with my mom, I went with a group of missionaries to China. We smuggled Bibles into China. Wow. And, yeah, exactly. So I was in it, man. And um, so, and, and, and I love my parents and I appreciate my parents and what they, you know, what they exposed me to because it gave me a, you know, a, an inside perspective for, to God, to spirituality, maybe, maybe invited me to begin exploring those questions at an early age. But for me, you know, traditional mainstream Christianity wasn't, didn't answer the questions for me. I was given like, it's like, here's God in a box and here's the answers. Here's, you know, here's the, here's the questions. Here's the answers. And that's it. And don't question it because if you do, it's eternal damnation, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so I wasn't getting the answers and I was also um, seeing a lot of hypocrisy, you know? Um, so I was just not in, intrigued with, with, with church and with Christianity um, in my late teens and early twenties. And that's when I just kind of drifted away. Like I think a lot of kids, do and that's when I started yeah. smoking weed and partying and just you know going wild and stuff like that and um, found myself you know at age twenty five or so 
where where I did when I when I shared with with you where I was. So, um, I, I found Buddhism, as I mentioned, as a way, uh, some sort of refuge. You know, I was looking for some peace, and mm. and what I found is that um, Buddhism did not conflict with with Christianity. Um, I, I wouldn't consider myself today a Christian, probably like most people do, but I do. I, I mean, I study Christian teachings every single day. I study the teachings of Christ every single day. But I think from a from a different kind of new uh, perspective, I see Christ now today as more of a way shower uh, mm-hmm. than uh, than a savior. Just like I see Buddha as you know someone that's maybe not the moon himself, but pointing at the moon. I think that's to me that's my interpretation of Christ's message is you know that which is in me is is, is also in you. So that's kind of my relationship with Christianity today. And that's my relationship with Buddhism today. And I'm constantly digging into the the faiths and the traditions of the world to find those common threads. Because I think we're all saying the same thing and we're all looking up at the end of the day, you know, so. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Um, thanks for explaining that. Because like as soon as you said that, I remember I made a mental note. I was like, make sure you ask about that because that's yeah. that's a journey. Uh, just to note, you know, my parents are still uh, very unhappy with my with my choice, you know, but that's a choice that I've, I've had to make, you know, so. Oh, well, I mean, it's... Uh, that's something interesting too to think about. You know, you can do all the right things, quote unquote, right things as a parent. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you can do all the things you think you're supposed to do. All the, th- but at the end of the day, your child is still their own human being. Got mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's um, again, that's the thing that I've been wrestling with with a child on the way, thinking about that. Like, who? You know, my job is to guide this little person that's going to be a mm-hmm. big person someday. Yeah. To help give her as much ammo in life to be a good person and make the right decisions. Yeah. Um, be a moral ethical person, but at the mm-hmm. end of the day, she's going to do whatever she's going to do. <laughs> like, yeah, right. I, I can't, you, you don't want to control another human. Mm. Um, and sometimes maybe the choices your kids make are, are not, um, are not going to make you the happiest, but, um, yeah, that's, that's a whole nother conversation we can go down. Yeah. We, 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 I think we've all made peace with it. You know, we just kind of don't talk about it that much. And, um, I am where I am and there we are. And I, and I, and I, we, we bow to each other, hopefully. You know, so. yeah. yeah. Well, we're, we're coming up on time, Matt. So um, I want to make sure we, we end the podcast the way I always ask a question here on Millennial Manhood. But um, Matt, you go back to 18-year-old you, wide-eyed, bushy-tailed. You just smuggled some Bibles into China. Now you're going off to college. Um, knowing all that you know about yourself and knowing all that you know in general at this stage of life, what's one piece of advice you would tell 18-year-old you? Don't get into debt. Okay. Actually, hold on. You're the first in a hundred and however many episodes this is. You're the first person that said that. Go to town. Elaborate. Oh man, you know we we, we go to college and we signed that you know thirty, forty, fifty plus if we're lucky, you know student loan agreement, and we don't know what we're signing, and we don't you know right. oftentimes we go to school for whatever because that's what we've been told we're supposed to do, and and we get into sell ourselves into all this debt, and you know I was not given a great financial education. So, mm. I, you know, when I was young, as soon as I could get my hands on a credit card, I did, man. And I just, did, I made frivolous, you know, like upper middle class white boy decisions with my money. I did not, I did not invest it well. I did not spend it well, man. I just blew it and I got myself into debt and I was financially irresponsible. And I'm still working through that today, you know. Um, so, yeah, just, uh, you don't necessarily got to go to college. I would tell myself that. Don't get into debt if you can help it. And, and, and definitely, you know, Put that Playboy down, you know. Um, that's where I'm at. <laughs> Upper middle class white boy decisions with yeah. my money. Yeah, brother. That might be 
one of the greatest sentences anybody has ever uttered on Millennial Manhood. <laughs> Write that oh down. Oh my gosh, that is awesome. <laughs> Thank <you for> <laughs> well, okay, uh, Matt, thanks for thanks for coming on. This was awesome. Um, how can folks get a hold of you? Thank you very much. Um, so I do run a, a, a Facebook group um, uh, on Facebook. It's a private men's only community. Um, the current name is Making Peace with Porn. Um, and and, our, and we, we may be making a shift to Porn to Purpose because that's the name of our, our kind of larger coaching company is Porn to Purpose, which really speaks to the journey that we take our men on. So you can find me uh, there, Making Peace with Porn. Um, you can find me on Facebook, um, Matt Sinkovitz. And if you'd like to just reach me directly, um, making peace with porn at gmail.com is an, is a neat way, easy way to reach me as well. Perfect. And I'll have all that in the show description, but, um, outside of that, everybody manhoodpod.com. If you want to check out the website with the episodes, info at manhoodpod.com. If you want to get a hold of me, um, if you want to get on the show, if you've got questions, if you got constructive, constructive criticism, keyword constructive, don't just complain, offer a solution. And outside of that, I hope you guys have a good rest of your day and we'll talk to you soon.